Nachos? Nachos? Tom Cruise? Am I still all by myself? This fucking virus sucks. Here comes the spooky! What's going on, chuds and chudettes? Here comes the Spookies back with episode 19. Today we're going to talk about the Resident Evil 3 remake, as well as some Jason fan film news. We're also going to jump on our one of my favorite personal horror movies, April Fool's Day. So sit back, relax, and tie your buddy to a chair, and make him listen to your second favorite podcast. Safely. From their house. Quarantine. All right, uh, we're back, episode 19. Uh, I'm Cincinnati Jeff, and with me always is my co-host, Nachos McGuerrof. Nachos, how you doing, buddy? How the fuck you hold them up, holding up in these trying times? Uh, I hold them up with a belt. Is this the episode where we're really going to try this time? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not doing too bad, man. Uh, you know, COVID-19 is everywhere, uh, which is, uh, I mean, it's it's awful, right? And bad things happen all over the place. But uh, for me, I don't really have to, like, gussy myself up for you to come over. But, like, when I don't shower for a couple of days and then, like, I walk by the mirror, like, I have to do, like, a double take. Like, Jesus, is that me? Like, I haven't it's seen like, my oh! <laughs> Like, when we Skype video chat and hang out, like, I can see myself. Like, constantly, and I'm like, are my eyes really that far apart? I look like Admiral Akbar. You look like a fetal alcohol syndrome fucking fish, dude. <laughs> I look like the shoes you wear when you only cut grass. Oh, man. I won't even tell you about those shoes, because they're soaked in cat piss. <laughs> so, uh, we are doing April Fool's Day. Um, before we get started, we got a couple of talking points here in the news. Ooh, and, and some I- very, very important news. Yes. First up is the Resident Evil remake uh, drops this week on April 3rd. Um, really looking forward to it. I've got my copy. I'm a couple hours in. I don't believe the campaign's super long. I think people have been saying it takes like six to eight hours to beat. That's, I'd say, a little short on the Resident Evil side of things, but uh, I remember when the first, re- the original Resident Evil 3 Nemesis came out. It, OG3. It was, it, was a, it was pretty short as well compared to the other yeah. ones that already been No, I straight up blew through that shit. And that was their thing, because I was originally a side story, right? Like, the, or the real Resident Evil 3 is Code Veronica, which is super yeah. long. Yeah, they were, they were going to... You know what? We actually we tackled this in our Resident Evil episode. If any of our listeners out there haven't listened to it, what the fuck are you doing? Right? Go so go check it. that out. Uh, also, um, we've got some Jason fan film uh, news here. So Jason Rising from Red Crow Films dropped a sneak peek of their upcoming... Friday the 13th fan film on their YouTube channel. You can check it out. It's the opening of the movie. Um, also, we spoke with Vincent DeSanti uh, earlier tonight and got an interview with him. Uh, he uh, wrote, acted, and directed in another Friday the 13th fan film that we've talked about before, Never Hike Alone. We've got that episode in the queue. We're going to review that uh, upcoming in a few weeks. So definitely That's right, that loser. You hear that? We're practically best friends with Jason Voorhees. Right. We had a really what? good conversation. That guy likes Godzilla. 
fucking A. We like Godzilla. Right? Yeah, we're like practically frat brothers. I mean, like, he, I'm going to be in his wedding, so cool. Also, uh, during uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, The Who is still uh, conducting their normal research, and it turns out that the color purple uh, can now make children between 11 and 11 and a half homosexuals. So uh, if you're out there and you're 11 or 11 and a half, avoid the color purple, unless you want to be a homosexual. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but just letting you know. So you're trying to tell me... The 1987 movie, The Color Purple, with fucking Oprah Winfrey, could turn into <laughs> gay? I'll have to give it a watch. <laughs> April Fools. Oh, got you fuckers! Uh, no, the Jason thing's real. We're practically best friends now. So. That is real. The Color Purple thing is not. Uh, if It Bleeds, a new collection of four novellas. I always liked that word from horror master. Stephen King is heading to bookshelves slightly earlier than originally slated, bumping the release date uh, from May to late April. So, I, I mean, I, I like all things horror and I'm a big horror book fan as well. Right. Kind of cut my teeth on goosebumps. Like a lot of people did the, you know, yeah, those corners are sharp, man. <laughs> yeah. When you chew on them. Uh, but I, I am a big fan of Stephen King, and I actually love his short story stuff almost a little bit more than his, you know, long novels. Uh, the Skeleton Crew, which is a collection of a ton of short stories and and things like that, is fantastic. It's got it's got the short short story The Mist in there. Um, there's another one about like an evil, ooh, like an with evil the super movie. cheery ending. Yeah, his ending's like, ooh, I'm so happy. Uh, I was dying. That's that's pretty cool. If you like that, definitely check that out. In these times when we're not going anywhere, you know, anything to help kind of keep your mind off it. Pick up a book. Last, last thing that I have here is Bloody Disgusting reported that an officially licensed board game, Friday the 13th, Horror at Camp Crystal Lake, is coming this summer. Both Freddy in Space and Larry Zerner confirmed that it is real via Twitter. I mean, dude, I'm fucking pumped. That's I hope it's not super cool. complicated. Ages like, you know, 11 to 11 and a half. You know? <laughs> What the fuck am I even talking about? And the nachos, I know that you have, you got an announcement for our listeners out there. This is a fucking big one, kids. All right. I have some pretty big news for fans and listeners out there. So the here comes the spooky podcast. Finally, we finally have our first sponsorship. The here comes, I will proudly announce that the here comes the spooky podcast will be joining forces with BeanieBabies.net for a brand new spinoff show called Here Comes the Beanies. Little known fact, uh, Cincinnati Jeff and I are actually super duper fucking huge Beanie Baby fans on top of being horror movie nuts. So we're starting a Kickstarter project. Okay. Very excited. When we reach our first stretch goal of $10,000, you can be the proud owner of a limited edition Blood Fart Bear. So, So it's a bear. It's a blood fart bear. It has a nice crimson hue with some sparkles. You know, nice bloodshot eyes. Uh, We've been kicking the idea around with some top designers about prototypes and all the legality and shit like that. And um, you'll see some progress in the upcoming spring of uh, never April Fool's, you stupid bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when we reach our uh, second stretch goal, instead of... On that spinoff show, instead of doing a taser episode, we are going to um, just shove Beanie Babies uh, up. Anally insert Beanie Babies with the fucking ball teen hammer into each other's rectums. In any hole. him! In every hole. We're going to roll dice. If you, oh. roll, if you roll a two, it goes in your ass. You roll a six, in your mouth. 
I mean, we're going to have to drill some new holes. <laughs> All right, you yuckster, now that we got that out of the way. <laughs> All right, so uh, Nachos, when or where was the first time you saw this movie? <sighs> I, have, I, I honestly don't remember, man. I'm thinking maybe it was like like a TBS vibe going on. Maybe maybe that's what it was. No, it was fucking USA. It's always USA. It was in the daytime. So I know that this movie got uh, a lot of airplay on normal TV. Uh, I wonder why. Because yeah, and we'll get into it. But it, I mean, it pretty much just it was just shown everywhere. For me, I saw this. I remember this. Uh, I was thinking about it when I was talking to my close personal friend Vincent DeSanti. Uh, Ghost Jason, uh, and that was 1994 uh, in the one-stop video of Smithton, Illinois. I remember the classic cover with the uh, like the the hair that's coming down off her back. It's tied into a noose, and she's like holding a knife, and you turn it around, and you can see Buffy on the back holding like a knife with a crazy look in her eye. And I was like, "Man, this movie's awesome." That bitch looks disheveled. So my my dad let me rent it, and he watched it with me, and he's like, "Hey, there's any boobies or bad parts? I'll make you leave." And well, I never had to leave the room. So some might say he's still in the house. (laughs) Uh, This movie is not on our Hello Nasty list. I'm sorry, or what? Hello, Hello Nasty! <clears throat> this uh, is the scream episode, just in <laughs> case our, any listeners were wondering. So, directed by Fred Walton. Uh, he actually has some pretty solid uh, horror movie uh, credits for director. What'd he do? He directed the original When a Stranger Calls. Uh, oh, no shit. Which is really fun, and I actually liked the remake, uh, which I think I came out in like... Oh seven, oh six, somewhere. Oh six, oh seven. Yeah, with that fucking built-in atrium in the house. Yeah, he did the sequel when a stranger calls back, which was in the third really movie. Cool. When you star sixty nine, a motherfucker. <laughs> when a stranger gets caller ID, uh, and then he directed the Rosary Murders, which is uh, kind of a thriller horror movie. It, it reminded it's like a serial killer who goes around and kills a bunch of people and leaves rosaries. Like he kills like nuns and shit like that. Okay. It's not bad. It's definitely not bad. So I might have to check that out, actually. Are you ready to meet our casualties? No, first I need to take a big mouthful of this beer. Hit it. All right, let's do this. All right. So um, there's a pretty big cast here for, like, the Friends and stuff like that. Uh, probably one of the biggest ones that we've ever seen in a horror movie outside of, like, I would say Friday the 13th Part 2 with all the, with all the cast and crew. Ever. So we've got Jay Baker, <clears throat> who plays Harvey. Really nothing of note uh, in his portfolio. Deborah Foreman, who plays Muffy and Buffy. She was in Waxwork. Destroyer. And uh, one of Nacho's favorite movies, Grizzly 2 Revenge. Uh, Grizzly 2 The Concert, bud. (laughs) It's also called Grizzly 2 Revenge. It's also called, they need to fucking quit fucking around and like put that movie out. I know it's like a half complete movie. That movie's... That movie needs to happen. It's a giant killer grizzly bear at a fucking concert. I think, like, not Clue Gallagher. Not nah, fuck, maybe Clue Gallagher is in it. Mick uh, Garris? Probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he directed it, actually. <laughs> um, and that guy directs everything. Dude, he directs my life. No wonder it's so shitty. Uh, <laughs> ooh, <laughs> I got sad there. We've also um, got, uh, are you, I'm sorry, you got anything else? George Clooney. I think George Clooney's in it. Oh, he is in Grizzly 2. He is. I All right, think I'll that's up. his first movie. 
Uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Are we? I don't know. You know what? I'll, I'll Google that shit later. Yeah, ret- it was Return, right? He was in Return. He was also in Return to Horror High. I can't keep up with all this shit. You know he's in the Batman and Robin? What? Was that the one with the nipples? Yeah, everybody had nipples. Did George Clooney play the nipples? He was the nipples, exclusively the nipples. Just the left one. He got, oh, no, actually, they're both, and he got dual billings. <laughs> he played the nipple, and then the evil nipple, they're twins. It had the little felt beard on it. <laughs> the mustache. That's how you knew it was the evil one. His and, name and- was Harry Ariola. <laughs> Titty got hurt. <laughs> what? Drink more beer? Okay. <laughs> I I love that shit. Um, like just the goofy fucking line every time, dude. It always makes me laugh. Like in Fifty First Dates, when they're always talking about like the chicks that like Adam Sandler was banging throughout the movie, and they're like, "Yeah, his name was Sonny Goodman," and this and that. And then this one older chick's like, "I love that man, Harry. Harry pair of testicles." <laughs> That sounds like some tel- top-shelf Adam Sandler writing right there. <laughs> I was still cracking up about it. That's some fucking Ace Ventura shit, dude. I love it. Bring me Billy Madison or die. <laughs> uh, my 50 First Dates was good. Uh, so we've also got another Deborah, Deborah Goodrich. She plays Nikki. We've got Lee. Which one's Nikki? Which one was Nikki? Was she kind of the uppity chick? The Yeah, the hot blonde uppity chick. With the gotcha. Boobs. Lee Pizant, who plays Nan. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah, the one with the stick up her ass. Uh, Ken Olant, who played Rob, he was in Leprechaun and one of my favorite fucking movies of all time, Summer School. Yeah, was he the fucking stripper, dude? Yes, he was the stripper in Summer School. And, I mean, that movie, it's not necessarily a horror movie, but, man, it's got one of the fucking goriest scenes probably in any movie from the 80s. Uh, I love that fucking classroom scene, dude, where they fucking walk, like, the substitute walks in and everybody's just dead, and the vice principal was like, this is bullshit. That's so cool. Yeah, do that today. See what happens. We've also got uh, Griffin O'Neill, who played Skip. He was in Wraith, Assault of the Killer Bimbos, (laughs) Soulmates, uh, and Ghoulies Go to College. I fucking love Ghoulies 3! We've got Clayton Roner, who plays Chaz. He was also in Destroyer with Deborah Foreman. Uh, he was in I, Madman, Nightwish, The Relic, Sometimes They Come Back for More, and The Human Centipede 3. Oh, no shit. Did you ever see Destroyer? Yes. That's the prison one where it's... Uh... Yeah, it's him and fucking old girl who yeah. plays Muffy. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like Shocker meets Prison. It is a little bit, for sure. That was, it, that was okay. But it's like, it's like starts out kind of spooky, and then it like definitely turns into like a... Hardcore gay porno. Pretty much, out of nowhere. Yeah. I was going to say like a hot porn. I mean, full-on penetration. Uh, so then the last two here are, are what I would call our, our stars in this one, and one more so did than the other. stars, or did you mean stars? This motherfucker's spitting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have Amy Steele. Yay! She plays Kit. Uh, you, everybody knows Amy Steele. If you don't, go kill yourself. She, she is my in, boo. She go outside and get COVID. She is Friday the... <laughs> you go have a fucking old lady sneeze in your asshole. She plays Ginny in Friday the 13th Part 2. And she's the best. Yeah, she's 
one of my favorite heroines in the Friday the 13th franchise. She's a little ragamuffin. And she's a lot of fun in this, too, but not as much fun as Thomas F. Wilson, who plays Arch. Yay! You guys might know him as Biff, Griff, Buford Mad Dog, Tannen in the Back to the Fucking Future franchise. Right. So he's also in Camp Nope Nowhere. Uh, he Holy played, shit. He, plays in, or he voices Detective Matt Bluestone in the Gargoyles TV show. Are you fucking kidding me? Nah, man, for real. You so oh. when you listen, you're like that voice sounds familiar. Are you serious? Like a big back heart attack right now with this shit? I am. That's beautiful. This guy does tons of voiceover work. He's got a huge, like, just rev, like ugh. bulge in his pants. <laughs> he ain't afraid to show you of work, a body of work, uh, and a lot of it is voiceover acting stuff. He was also the coach in Freaks and Geeks. Um, which had uh, just a ton of people in it, uh, freaks and geeks. It's got uh, hey man, do you Seth think Rogen, he, all those people? Sorry, do you think he voiced Biff Tannen in the Back to the Future cartoon show? He did. That's beautiful, man. He did, and I believe he came back and voiced him in the uh, like the video game. Yeah, so it's not like a, it's not the not the one on Nintendo. It was one that came out maybe ten eight like, years ago. It's like yeah, a, it was like a Telltale game. Yeah, it's like hey, a Leisure Suit Larry kind of game. You kind of point and click. Because they had fucking Michael J. Fox show up and like when he talks, it sounds like he's remixed. And you're like, no. <laughs> That's terrible. You can't. He's he's a beloved treasure. He does poke fun at his uh, Parkinson's. He had a he had a TV show on NBC where he was like um called all shook up. <laughs> he's a bartender. No, it was <laughs> <laughs> He's a dishwasher. He was uh uh, he played like a like a like a, a news anchor or a reporter uh, who actually had to retire because of his Parkinson's, and he's trying to break back into the news because he's trying to get under control. And like in the very first episode, he's trying to serve dinner to his family. He's like trying to serve like macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes, and he's like having such a hard time doing it because of his Parkinson's. And his fucking wife just reaches over and grabs a spoon and goes, "I know you're trying to accomplish a personal victory, but we're fucking starving," and just takes it away from him and just puts it on everybody's plate. Man, there's a savage episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where, like, fucking Michael J. Fox moves upstairs from Larry David. It's, uh, like, him just trying to walk in shit. You know, it's Larry because he's a fucking dickhead. He's like, what are you doing up there? He's like, I'm just trying to live my life, Larry. Fuck. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Anyway. He's a good sport about it, and I love Michael J. Fox for sure. <clears throat> He'll always be my Teen Wolf. Oh, absolutely. Way better than Teen Wolf, too. I so- think it- COVID-19 better than fucking Teen Wolf 2. Uh, the movie was released in March of 1986, which was a pretty good year for horror movies, for sure. We had The Fly, the the Cronenberg one, not the original one from the 50s, but the Cronenberg with, with, with uh, Goldblum. Critters, Night of the Creeps. Night of the Critters. Maximum Overdrive. Who made who? Chopping Mall. <laughs> Friday the 13th, Part VI. Ah, uh, Yes. Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. A family film. One of our favorites, Deadly Friend. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. <laughs> Dog Will Hunt. Poltergeist 2. Psycho 3. I don't remember Psycho 3 so much. I always get that confused. I So that's I'm pretty sure that's the one where he calls into the radio show, where Anthony... Um, oh, what's his Perfect. name? Yeah, then calls in the radio show and he's talking about he's going to kill his family and they they kind of it's kind of a best of with some new stuff because he like goes through the other movies that's either three or four I can't remember it's been a while since I've seen those I need I have them I need to sit down and watch them though 
Honestly, I don't count after two. Two's the fucking bomb.com, as the kids say. But, uh, I don't know. Whatever. They're all good. Well, yeah, that's... I especially like that one with fucking, uh, 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 you know, that big gangly fuck I can't think of his name. The remake? Yeah. Oh, with Vince Vaughn? I want to break into that movie's house and, like, fuck its dog with a switchblade. <laughs> Maybe slow it... down on the beer. It's so violent. We oh, that's on. not the beer. That's just <laughs> me, baby. Uh, last ones here. Uh, it also came out with Slaughter High. Terror what? Vision. Terror Vision. Sorority House Massacre. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'd call this a horror movie. I, I would call it a, a, a horror movie, but it's a musical. Little Shop of Horrors with Rick Moranis and, and uh, Steve Martin and everybody, you know. I love ah. that fucking movie, too. God, that's yeah. so great. Oh, man. No, that movie's really fun. I remember watching... My wife is not big in horror movies, and I uh, I think I had rented that like online. It was like one of the few times I did it because I was just dying to watch it and fell asleep watching it. And when you rented it through DirecTV... It would just, it would just, if you didn't stop it, it would just start over and play again. And uh, she yeah. woke up from her nap as I was falling asleep. And of course, you've, you've got the, the 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 three the three ladies who are always singing in the background. She's like, "What are you Do watching?" We? She's like trying to pay attention. And I was like, "Little shop orders," and I explained the plot. So she actually sat through it a second time, even though she came in halfway through because she was like, "This is pretty fucking good." And I'm like, "I know. I only like good shit." Uh, so you know, like not not a quartet, a tr- the trio of the singing gals. I'm pretty sure one of them is Tisha Campbell from uh, Martin, and then like her buddy. She, she is no. that. You are correct. That is, is Pam is one of them Tisha too. Campbell. I don't think so. This is the one Mar- Martin always dogging on. Like you dog face bitch, and then he pulls his gun out and sexually assaults Tisha Campbell. Like that really happened. Yeah, that is not an April Fool's. No, dead serious. Like Martin used to walk around with a fucking gun just to be a weirdo and creep people out. Yeah, but Shenandoah was funny, so he got away with it. I'm an original player from the Himalaya. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, How to watch. Uh, Watch this movie on VHS. Betamax. Huh? If you've got one of those, you fucking tape heads. Laser disc. There are three different barebone DVD releases from from from, uh, Paramount, uh, with one of them being a double feature with the edited or cut version of My Bloody Valentine. That's the one that I own. That's what your boys got. And that's all you can have for that movie digital, like for, you know, like an updated digital release until this year, just recently. And I'm talking within the past yeah. week, 2020 Scream Factory released a Blu-ray version with uh, not a ton of special features, but definitely some more supplemental material that Paramount had, that did not, Paramount did not have. So that is actually pretty cool. The The quality of the, of the Blu-ray is fantastic and it really lightens up the movie and it's just a Good way to view it. That's the way I watched it, and I love it. The preferred viewer's choice. So, you ready to horse around with some maniacs? Let's fucking do this shit. All right. On April 1st, 2007, Desiree Catier is hosting a party at her mansion for her actress friend, Taurus Caldwell. Present for pre-festivity toast are Blaine Catier, Desiree's brother who controls their joint inheritance to Desiree's dislike, U.S. Senate candidate Peter Welling, Peter's Miss Carolina fiancé Barbie Reynolds, and the the quintet's less wealthy videographer friend Ryan. With the party in full swing, Desiree's social nemesis and Ryan's not-so-secret cush, Millen Hastings, arrives. Also present is the Chihuahua-toting society reporter, Charles. 
That Millen Hastings, she's a real cuss, ain't she, buddy? <laughs> I'm just fucking around. That's the plot for the 2008 remake. <laughs> I yodel in her cave bacon. <laughs> April Fool's. April Fool's! Uh, yeah. And for you listeners out there, I promise that's the last one. That movie sucks. Don't watch it. I, I saw that movie once, and I'm like, why are you a movie? I would rather watch you take an hour and a half long shit than watch that remake. Well, I mean, play your cards right. <laughs> oh, buddy, when this quarantine's over, hit me up. <laughs> That's my fucking Twitch page. It's just like, I eat things. I eat, like, baby dolls. Parts of a baby doll and see if I can shit them out whole. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> with you... that. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, let's move on to the real plot. Also, these April Fool's jokes are fucking terrible. All right. Our film starts on the docks of a pier in Maine, where some friends of Muffy have gathered for a weekend vacation at her family's island's home during spring break. We are introduced to a large group of friends with Nikki, Kit, Arch, Chaz, and Skip. Well, Cincinnati, Jeff, hold up. You skipped the whole part. What? The child's birthday party. Nope, I haven't. Oh. They're waiting for the ferry to take them to the island where they goof around making video interviews with Chaz's camera. Over at the island, Muffy is getting her house ready for the weekend when Clara, the uh, caretaker, uh, comes in to see if she needs any help before she leaves. She warns Muffy that nobody will be around to help her until Monday when the ferry boats come back after their weekend off. While Muffy talks to herself and carries some mannequins around the basement, she says she'll be fine, but before she heads upstairs, she finds an old jack-in-the-box toy and has a flashback to a birthday party she had as a child. My apologies. Thank you. While everyone around is smiling and talking to themselves, Muffy opens up a birthday present that was handed to her, and it turns out to be a jack-in-the-box. She winds the toy until the box pops, and out comes this frightening fucking monster instead of a clown, scaring the shit out of her while everybody around her just starts to fucking laugh. And this thing is terrifying. It looks like a fucking Kmart Xenomorph. It looks like a mini Rancor. With no eyes. Okay, so, like, real quick, they show the mom, and I think it's the only time they mention it, really, uh, other than her being dead. I think it's Lana from Friday the 13th, Part 5, you know, the chick that just whips her tits off for no reason? I mean, I don't know, that's what it looked like on my shitty DVD, so. I I couldn't find uh, who, who was the mom, so it could be. I mean, it is Paramount. It's roughly around the same time. Yeah, it is. So, back in the present... At the docks, the ferry is pulling up as Nan pulls up and joins the group. She introduces herself and lets the group know she doesn't know Muffy very well, but she met her this semester in Drama Society. When the boat finally arrives, the group starts in with their April Fool shenanigans, and first up we've got Chaz telling a dock worker that his fly is open and his hostess Twinkie is hanging out. Oh my god! <laughs> and as the guy goes to fucking look down, Chaz, Chaz like, oddly kisses him on the head? or Okay. So, for starters, how did that dude not get punched in the fucking face? Right? You're like, you're doing this with a fucking, like, a dock worker, and he's, and you're just some fucking prep school piece of shit. Okay, also, that's some very weird product placement, too. <laughs> Does Hostess know about this? <laughs> this dick joke was brought to you by Hostess. When you put it in your mouth, pretend it's a dick. As everyone is boarding the ferry, Cal the Ferryman begins 
to get pushy about taking off as this is his last run for the weekend, and he wants to leave now, but Kit pleads with him to wait a few minutes as they're still waiting on two more people. As right on cue as they could be, Rob and Harvey Hal Edison Jr., but he prefers to be called Hal. That's a mouthful. <laughs> arrive and head down to the boat. Rob and Hal introduce themselves around, and everyone seems to know each other except for Skip, Nan, and Hal, whom they've all seemed to just met. And Nikki comments that Skip is Muffy's cousin. Did you catch this line here? Which one? I think it's Hal. He walks up, and he goes... He, like, leans over to the dock where he was like, Springsteen, still the boss! Yeah! What the fuck is that? I guess it's because maybe it was the way he was dressed, or it's just, like, the working man's outfit. I don't know. Clearly, that is a joke that does not apply to our demographic. I was alive at this time, but not old enough to get that. I mean, I'll just accept the, fa- uh, uh, the, the fact that Bruce Springsteen is the boss. He is the fucking boss. And he's Angela's sister. Yeah. Well, no, brother. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, while the group is ready to, for takeoff, Skip pulls out a switchblade and challenges Arch to a game of stretch. Uh, this is a game where a knife is tossed into the ground, and each player attempts to knock the other one over while trying to reach it while their feet stay together. It's super safe. Cincinnati Jeff, have you ever played a game of stretch? I have never played a game of stretch. Outside of this movie, have you ever heard of stretch? No. Okay. Do you think they made it up for this movie? No, I actually looked it up. It has another name, too, like a French name or something like that. Um, it's called Try to Stab Your Buddy. And it's, it's, it's got like a bunch of different rules, and this is kind of like the most basic way to play it, apparently. Dude, I'm not down with this. There's too much stretching. I'm pretty crummy at moving in general, so. Right. Sometimes I have to have people move my arms for me. <laughs> Marionette you. <laughs> Like, kind of shove a stick up my ass and move me around like they did with Ozzy Osbourne in the first season of the Osbournes. Yeah. So while this is going on, uh, Chaz keeps pulling the your fly is down joke on everyone as the ferry leaves. And while crossing the island, the gang starts to hang out uh, together and get to know each other a little bit. For those that are new, we have some awkward conversation between Hal and Nikki um, and Chaz and Nan. So Hal is talking... Um, about wanting to work for Muffy's dad in the future and, like, in finance. And then he asks what Muffy is short for, and they have, like, this weird back and forth. He's like, uh, Muffin or... Muff Child. Muff Child. And then Nikki's like, Muff Dive. Oh, you can straight up see her fucking pussy lips. Yeah, she's out, like, laying out tanning, too. It's kind of It's kind of awkward. I'm sorry, that was a little offensive. Let me try again. You can see her piss flaps. <laughs> See your fucking south mouth. <laughs> and then uh, Chaz is um, talking to Nan. She's reading. Uh, I forget what she's reading. Uh, it's a- oh, it's uh, Paradise Lost by Milton. That's right. Yeah. And she's talking about how nobody really is required reading anymore. And it's a lost art for this classic. And Chaz says that he's reading Treasure Island. Uh, but he flips it over and it's a goddamn it- porno mag. <laughs> I hate Nan. She's like just this uppity fucking hipster chick. Not really. She's just a stick in the mud. She sucks. And then that's the most hipster shit ever. Like, she's oh, super uptight. N- nobody reads books anymore. It's like, bitch, everybody reads books. I could go to any Starbucks on fucking Cherokee Street. All one of them. I think she meant that no one's reading this specific book. Like, it's not required reading anymore. Oh, man, you're so fucking cool. We also got Arch and Skip still playing Stretch. And uh, Kit and Rob are... are 
arguing about uh, something, but we're not quite sure. It seems to like maybe Rob's uh, school or something. But what I really like this scene because it's it's I mean it's just kind of what these people would do if this was real life, right? Just kind of hanging around, dicking around, just killing time and stuff like that. Throwing knives at each other. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, I think it really helps sell that this group are good friends. Uh, as, buy it. as the boat comes around to the island dock, Skip and Arch get into an argument about the game as Skip just keeps beating the shit out of Arch and Stretch, and Skip tosses a knife at Arch. Arch gets a little pissed off because he doesn't feel like fucking catching switchblades and throws the knife back at Skip where it sticks directly into his stomach and he falls off the boat covered in blood. Robin Buck, uh, who is one of the uh, crewmen on the boat, jump in to look for Skip, but Skip pops up laughing his ass off and holding a fake knife prop and showcasing that Arch and Skip are pulling a prank on everyone. A big ol' April Fool's joke. Should we even try to break down the logistics of how any of this would happen, or we're just going to keep going? I mean, it's like, I'm not even sure. Like, he must have tossed, like, he must have switched it and tossed, like, a gag knife that, like, Skip was holding, and he, like, had, like, a like a pouch underneath his shirt full of squibs, I guess, or? Yeah, what in the David Copperfield is fucking going on here? <laughs> a magnetic knife? Hey, I don't know, man. This anyway. is the 80s. Uh, Skip and Rob get out of the water as Cal tells Buck he needs to uh, help him get the boat docked. Uh, Buck tells him he can do it from the water, and he has the line tossed to him. And as Buck swims around the boat and tries to get the boat tied off of the docks by kind of like throwing it like a lasso, Cal loses sight of him and accidentally crushes him between the boat and the fucking giant wooden dock. As the boat pulls away, Buck pops up out of the water with his fucking eye popping out of his socket and the skin on his face is fucking torn away like all the way down to his neck and shit like that the boy straight mangled sam um i'm sorry the local harbor patrol sees the commotion and cruises over to help uh buck and cal then head back to the mainland for help while he stays behind uh to talk to everybody else about this fucking tragedy that just happened so Muffy drives down to pick everybody up where she asks what has happened and the constable tells her that her friends can fucking tell her what's going on because they've been jackassing around and that he needs to borrow Muffy's boat to get back to the shore as the rest of the crew has taken the ferry back. He says he wants everyone to stay put just in case anything happens to Buck because he wants to know where to find them in case he's got any more questions. Everybody's pretty shaken up as they head over to Muffy's house. Muffy then takes everybody up the road in a couple separate cars that they got, and they pull up to this giant-ass mansion that's fucking really cool-looking. It actually is. The location's great. You think they shot it in, like, Vancouver or something? I actually, I don't know if they shot this in, like, uh, I couldn't find any location information. So they're supposed to be in Maine, so I, th- I think that's where they shot it, was just on location, but okay, could be wrong. Uh, so Muffy takes everybody inside her family's giant-ass mansion on the island where everyone is super impressed with it, just freaking out how cool it is, and they begin to make themselves at home. <laughs> I mean literally. Fuck, you got Arch, like, stealing cigars and shit. Um, while um, Nikki, Kit, and Muffy start to make dinner in the kitchen and read Cosmo Magazine test questions to everyone. Right. And this was, I mean, this was another kind of scene where it was like, oh, well, you can really tell that they're kind of getting along and are actually friends. It's not like a forced thing. But, man, the questions, I guess is a thing girls did. Maybe they still do. I don't know. I, yeah, when they're trading bras, they also read Cosmo and shit. Like, did it hurt when you got blasted in the butthole? Yeah, or? they're like, your first time, was it fun? Was it, did you come? Like, 
it was very awkward, like these answers. And I'm like, man, did he let you out of the trunk afterwards? <laughs> did you catch the scene when fucking uh, they're at the dinner table? Biff walks up to the to the table. He goes, ooh, sporks. Yeah, Archie's like, and plastic knives and sporks. I got a good chuckle out of that. So after this scene, uh, later everyone sits down to a nice dinner of beans and franks, complete with whooshy, whoopee cushion jokes and trick chairs and Barbie dolls dressed like each of their guests for each one at the table. And I, this scene's pretty fun because, like, Nan sits down and she's all stuck up and shit. And, like, you kind of hear a fart and everyone sort of looks at her and she continues to sit. And, like, there's more fart and she, like, has to pull out the whoopee cushion, which was pretty funny. And then, like, Arch is sitting in a chair and he kind of leans back and it's one of those trick chairs that, like, the, the back legs are on hinges and it folds up underneath them and then springs back up as he falls on his neck. I thought it was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, anytime somebody falls over the chair, it's good. During the meal, the gang starts to talk about what they want to do after college while Muffy prepares some champagne for everyone. Nan makes a toast about friendship. And Muffy reciprocates with an even better toast, which gets a really shitty look from Nan. As everyone begins to drink, they realize that they were given uh, fake glasses uh, that (laughs) spill everywhere. She claims April Fool's. Now I'm going to bring it back a second here. Um, This line of dialogue that is a chip, right? That's Biff Tanner. I don't know why I didn't bother writing. Arch. Thank you, Archie. All right. So um, the whole thing is... I think I have it in this sequence in this way. Uh, so they're sitting there at the table and they're like, Rob got into medical school, kind of shit like that. And it's like, no, Rob actually didn't. And then even Muffy's like, hey, uh, let's not talk about this at dinner. So Amy Steele can fucking defeat Jason Voorhees, but she can't take a hint. Okay. <laughs> now, so we go on for a second and, and it's what, um, what does he say? It's like, this is like the realest fucking intelligent dialogue I've heard in like any 80s slasher movie. It's like, how can anybody take anything serious when some moron can steal a bomb or push a button and nuke us all to our shadows glow? And I'm like, yeah, actually. Damn, Biff. I know, right? Getting dark on it. Who'd have thunk? So later on in the evening, Buffy is showing every one of their rooms. Nikki is unpacking and tells Muffy that Chaz is her man and to back off, as women tend to do, apparently. While Hal is smoking a cigar and practicing a speech about how Muffy and him are attracted to one another, he's by himself and he's just like, but Muffy, you notice this attraction too, right? Then he starts fucking his hand. Chaz and Arch discover that they are sharing a room together and get a little close. And Hal continues to then unpack and finds a newspaper clipping stuck to his closet door with the headline, Six Die in Fog. And two more newspaper clippings in his uh, dresser drawer about teenagers killed in a fiery crash. And one woman lives. Before Chaz busts in and realizes he is the wrong room. As he's leaving, he hears a loud bang and goes back to check on Hal, who was covered in black soot as it turns out he was smoking an exploding cigar. <laughs> what? Have you ever had a, a cigarette loads? Uh-uh. Okay, so, yeah, my dad used to get them because we're assholes, and you take them, and they're like, I don't know, but they're about the size of, like, a grain of rice, and you fucking get a toothpick and pack them up in somebody's cigarette, and then, yeah, your fucking cigarette, they explode, it's a loud bang, like, right in your face, it's terrifying. <laughs> Sounds funny. Yeah, we should get some. <laughs> 
Uh, later, um, sorry, uh, more April Fool's dank pranks continue as Nikki tries to use the sink in her room, but the water sprays right out of the top of the faucet, soaking her in the face, while at the same time, Arch is uh, trying to put away his weekend store of condoms in his room's medicine cabinet, and he finds a bunch of heroin paraphernalia. It's like, oh, that's a real good joke. Right. Uh, back to Nikki, and while she's getting dressed, she finds a bunch of S&M gear in her dresser drawers. And at the same time, Arch goes to leave his room, but when he tries the doorknob, the fucking knob just comes right off. That's not a funny joke. That actually <laughs> fucking sucks if that's ever happened to you. <laughs> I guess I live here now. <laughs> this is my prison. <laughs> Meanwhile, in their bedroom, Kit and Rob find a painting with moving eyes. Uh, and upon further inspection, they find one of those cat clocks, right, that look left and right behind it. Uh, that's something like straight out of Scooby-Doo, you know? Right? That's That was pretty funny. Uh, over in Nan's room, she hears a baby crying from inside her wardrobe, uh, but she finds just a tape player with, with the baby crying instead. She finds a good time, and she's horrified. She kind of gets a little pissed about it. Late, later that night, Rob and Kit continue to have the conversation they were having at dinner about Rob not being able to go to medical school. When he goes to turn off the light in the room, but as soon as he does, another one turns on. <laughs> I, I love this gag. Uh, also, uh, there are no boobies in this movie, but uh, at 31.54, uh, we get to see Rob and some whitey tidies. You can straight up see old boys schwanz. Yeah, right through that shit. Uh, so this happens a few times where he's just turning off fucking lights and other ones turn on uh, until he just decides to get fucking smart and move all the bulbs. <laughs> but when he does this, uh, you know, Kit's just chuckling at him. So they finally try to get some sleep, but the goddamn eyes on the cat clock light up. <laughs> he pulls a Harry Ward and gets his pickaxe and starts bashing out all the lights. This motherfucker! That So all the all the April Fool's Day shenanigans are going on. That one was probably my favorite, because he's like, all right, let's go to bed, and turns the fucking light off. And the other one across the fucking room turns on. Goes to get up, turn that one off, the fucking overhead light turns on. Turns that one off, the first light turns back on. <laughs> Muffy's like, let me call my joke electrician. I'm so rich. And finally, we have Arch, who, after trying to put some moves on Buffy and walking in on Chaz and Nikki, uh, getting a little busy. What the fuck is happening here? This is a it, weird, like a Karma Sutra move or something. I can't even describe it. It looks like the giant orgy in society, like they just melded together, <laughs> just a blob of parts. I mean, I would try it, but I'm kind of fat. Yeah, dude, you're going to fucking throw your back out trying to mash, monster mash. So, uh, so uh, obviously Arch isn't getting anywhere, so he goes back to his room to shake hands with the milkman. Uh, you but... like how he popped his collar to go beat his dick? <laughs> yeah. He does he... Uh, he pops it up, and then he, again, pops it right back down. Uh, oh, I, I thought he double-popped it, but whatever, man. And then Split. falls backwards out of that chair. <laughs> and he bends his wiener. <laughs> so while this has been going on, Skip has been by himself and getting very drunk. Uh, as the gang settles in, Skip makes his way to the boathouse alone. And while... You know Skip felt bad for the whole... Dude smashing his face thing? You think that's what it was? They don't really go into detail about shit like that. So he, I mean, he has a couple one-off lines when they first meet about how he's oh, not part of, like, the rich side of the family or his, like, you know, Daddy's love, his own, love. Right? right? 
And then he, I think he talks to Nan about it a little bit too. And he's like, you see him drinking whiskey before dinner, like just straight from the bottle. Oh, you don't? I call it my pre-meal whiskey. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess maybe that's it. Or it could be that he just, you know, blinded uh, the guy on the boat too. You know what it was? He was having a good time and he started talking to Nan and she's like, you should probably kill yourself. You should kill yourself. <laughs> Way to go, Nan. Damn. If I don't feel bad enough about Buck, now I really feel like I'm fucking going to do it. Right. So while he's walking around in the dark inside the boathouse, he is grabbed from behind and killed off screen. Oh, no, you missed it. You missed the best part. The cat jump scare. Oh, yeah. Hit me with it. Yeah, apparently Skip hasn't seen anything called a 1980s fucking horror movie and knows you don't do any of that shit. So this is the beginning of a theme that we will see throughout this movie where folks are just straight killed off screen. In the morning... Everyone is starting off their day as Muffy goes downstairs to cook some breakfast and begin to act a little fucking weird. The people just kind of start walking in and she's like, oh my, I'm such a mess. And like weirdly goes back upstairs and like, like basically like elbows fucking arch on the way. Get the fuck out of the way. She's, she like reacted like some kind of abused shih tzu or something. She's like, just fucking leaves her cooking mess and just runs upstairs. Right. Those eggs are going to burn now. Right? Oh, where's your fucking maid, huh? You Just know? so you know, Muffy, you're going to fucking burn the eggs. So later on, we got everybody kind of hanging out and dicking around. Uh, Arch starts to ask where Skip is uh, while the gang's playing soccer, but no one seems to know. Rob and Kit go down to the shore for a swim and then make their way to the boathouse for some thrusting and busting, but, <laughs> but are interrupted as Skip's dead-ass corpse floats by underneath them on a fucking boat. That part was actually pretty cool, man. This was a really cool scene. They run back to the main house to see if anyone else has seen Skip, and they explain what they saw and how it looked. I saw his face! Right? He was dead. Rob, Chaz, and Arch then go look for him in case it was all a prank, but all they find is Skip's broken bloody knife from the prank earlier. The three then split up to search the grounds. At the house, Muffy is acting really weird, and quite suddenly, Nan jumps around the corner and fucking confronts her about why she was invited to the island in the first place. With tears in her eyes, she says that Muffy invited her here as a joke for everybody to make fun of her and accuses her about the tape of the crying baby that she found in her room. Nobody needs a friend like Nan. And while all this is going on, Hal is kind of around the corner coming on the stairs and just eavesdropping. <laughs> Old nosy-ass Hal. Like a fucking yuppie piece of shit. We then cut to Arch walking around in the woods alone, looking for Skip, and after hearing some Jason Voorhees-type noises, <clears throat> gets snared in the leg and hoisted up into a fucking tree as a snake is trying to fucking bite him, as the killer approaches and then kills him off screen. In my mind, I just heard fucking um, David Copperfield-looking dude from Halloween 2, or I'm sorry, Friday the 13th 2, screaming, Goddamn Paul in this wilderness bullshit! Anyway, I'll be referencing several better movies in comparison, so continue, please. Meanwhile, Nan is moping around by herself while Nikki and Kit wait for the guys to come back, and as they return, Kit says that it's time to call the police since Arch is now missing too. Muffy then tells uh, everybody that uh, they can call Constable Potter while she offers everyone some tea to help them calm down. 
Rob cannot get the police on the phone, and Kit soon discovers that they can't get any water from the sink. Muffy tells her that the main is probably broken. This happens all the time, but they can still use the water from the well. So Nikki and Hal head off together to get some. Muffy stays back with Kit and says that she isn't too worried about Skip and Arch, and they're probably just dicking around, uh, but she keeps acting weirder and weirder as the day goes on. Oh, is that the part where she's fidgeting around with her hands like, oh, do you know I'm nervous and weird? Because, yeah. like, yeah. It's very obvious. Can't you tell? Hal, Hal, Hal and Nikki make it to the well, and while having a chit-chat full of sexual innuendos, Hal drops the bucket down to the well and loses it. Nikki then tries to shine her flashlight down there like an asshole without looking, and she also that is drops verbatim what I have in my notes. She goes to hand a flashlight like such a dipshit. Yeah. Like, oh, let me blindly pass it from behind my back. And, Does this ah. help? Uh, so since she drops it, she goes back. She decides that she's going to go ahead and climb down the ladder to get inside. As she's making her way down, one of the rungs breaks loose, and Nikki falls to the bottom of the well and finds Arch and Skip's severed heads floating down there before trying to climb back up. As she's freaking out, the ladder breaks even further, and as Nikki falls back into the well, she also finds Nan's dead body with her throat slit. Hal climbs down to the well and is able to finally pull Nikki out, and they head back to the house. Oh, no. Not Nan. <laughs> Dang. Oh, no. She was so young and beautiful. <laughs> she was so young and beautiful. <laughs> Kit tries to calm Nikki down with a sage advice that they will all be okay since everyone who has died was outside, and since they are inside, they'll be fine. Fucking flawless. <laughs> Everyone else starts to think that this is happening because of what happened on the boat with Buck and Chaz and insists that this, uh, I'm sorry, that what happened with Buck and Chaz insists that this was just an accident. Muffy then brings Nikki a glass of water and she retreats back faster than one of Harvey Weinstein's ex-girlfriends, but Muffy assures her that it's fucking Perrier and she's got nothing to worry about. It's not well water. Hal then asks Muffy where she keeps her guns and she explains that they don't have any guns in the house. Biff Tanner rips the sleeves off his shirt and goes, Right here, baby! <laughs> well, he, Woo! he would if he could see, but he's missing his head. Oh, that'll happen. Constable Potter finally <clears throat> calls the house, and Rob tries to explain what's been happening with his friends and who he thinks might be behind it. Potter says this is impossible since everyone is still at the hospital and hasn't left. He then tells them to stay put and stay together until he arrives. He's going to send up a red signal flare when he gets there. And then everyone goes around the house and locks all the doors and windows. Well, and everybody's being a terrible douchebag to each other. Yes. While walking up the study, Kit finds a picture of twin girls on the desk as Muffy walks in and scares her with her creepy-ass face. Meanwhile, Hal is upstairs and pulls a revolver out of his suitcase and hides it on himself before heading downstairs to wait for ever, uh, with everyone else. Well, that's right. I forgot about that. <clears throat> While chilling out back and relaxing all cool, Chaz <laughs> notices that Muffy and Rob are not with them. Kid assures them that Rob is checking the back doors while Nikki mentions that Muffy's been acting really strange all day. She mentions she's been wearing some busted-ass nurse's shoes, which is odd for her rich ass. Yeah, but whoa, what, the, what what kind of social message is this? All these rich white people, you know what, nurse can't wear fucking comfortable shoes? They're right. only on their feet all fucking day. Okay, sorry movie. Oh, my bad. Yeah, go burn a fucking cigar with a $100 bill. 
Ronald Reagan ass motherfucker. Okay, go ahead, buddy. So Hal then tells everybody that he caught Muffy and Nan arguing in the hall earlier about an abortion before Chaz and Rob come back from their search for Skip. That Nan was actually aborted as a child and she survived it, so it's a very touchy subject. And that's why she looks like that. No Oof. joy. Nikki then pipes up about finding the S&M stuff in her room, and Hal then asks Chaz if he found anything in his room, but he claims he did uh, did not because he slept with Nikki last night. And Hal lies and tells Chaz that he also didn't find anything weird in his room, but Chaz presses him and he says that it was nothing more than a couple of na- newspaper clippings about a car accident. And he's like, the fuck hasn't had a car accident? And he's like, I haven't. And then it just gets really kind of weird. Like They're just kind of all starting to turn on each other. And the guy called Geckard like just holds his little thumb up. He's like, "Yeah, good job." <laughs> That's all state stand. Are you? Oh, fuck me. <laughs> well, I obviously don't know my insurance mascots. I apologize. Wonderful, just... custom rates, non-threatening black spokesperson. <laughs> That's it's... all state stand. He's got a great voice. He does. He sounds like Tony Todd, <clears throat> but nicer. Yeah, like... not not like I'm gonna murder you in your sleep. Like, if Tony Todd could audibly uh, make a hug come out, that's what that dude sounds like. <laughs> the sound of a hug. As Rob enters back into the room, uh, everyone starts to calm down until Nikki asks how Muffy could have found all this stuff out about them before Kit cuts her off and tells her to stop it, that she refuses to believe that Muffy invited everyone here this weekend to... But she is cut off. As Muffy enters the room and tells everyone that, that she is now going upstairs to take a nap. Rob tells her this is not such a good idea, but she says that uh, she'll be fine, and it's her house, and well, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right? Nikki then follows suit and says they are all getting on each other's nerves. As Hal tells everyone to stay within shouting distance before everyone makes like bananas and splits. Muffy heads to her room and locks the door. Chaz and Nikki go off alone. Rob heads to the attic with Kit to see if he can better spot Constable Potter. And Hal, being the brave hero he is, says he will keep an eye out on the stairs. Cool. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Upstairs, Nikki and Chaz have a fight as Nikki wants to get the fuck out of Dodge. Chaz then puts on one of the S&M masks and tries to cheer her up, but she throws Chaz down onto the bed, throwing a big fit, and leaves the room. When she comes back, she finds Chaz just as he left him, but now he is Uh-oh. dead. Having been killed off screen, and his schmeckle has been cut off. He got his whole body cut off his dick. Because <laughs> that's what he was at the end, just a dick. There's this dick-shaped hole in you, Chaz. What happened? Hey, you know what? I think I said that exact same line during fucking uh, Night of the Demon. <laughs> well, it's a classic. Meanwhile, in the attic, Rob and Kit try to see the constable, but they cannot. Rob also tells Kit that the constable told him not to trust anyone, and that's why they're all supposed to stay together and not leave anyone alone with anyone else, especially not with Muffy. Kit then notices the dolls from earlier at dinner and figures that Muffy has been in the attic. She also notices that the dolls have been arranged in the same way that they've been found, uh, as, as the bodies have been found all throughout the day so far, with Nikki, with the Nikki and Chaz dolls now covered in blood. Suddenly, a red flare is launched outside, which signals that Constable Potter has arrived, just like he told Robbie Wood. No, it means that he still tried to stun Jason with a flare gun. <laughs> oh, no, that's just my twin. Uh, just shooting flares at Jason Voorhees. Ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore Rob goes down to find Hal, while Kit goes to look for Nikki and Chaz, but they do not find anyone. 
They go to Nikki's room and find her and Chaz dead and covered in blood. Just like the Downs. My God. So Rob goes out to um so Rob goes to head out of the house, but Kit says that they have to get Muffy. Rob literally is just like, no, fuck her. <laughs> I mean, you saw her, she's been a it's the, you know what? It's those nurse shoes, man. You don't want to be. You don't want to hang I'm around. I'm not going in with old fucking nurse shoes. Leave Ugh. her ass in there. I'm not hanging out with some fucking lady that wears Crocs. <laughs> it was a good scene. He's like, I don't give a shit, and like fucking Amy feels like, come the fuck back. So they try to open Muffy's door, uh, and they find they notice that it's hard and it's blocked. When they finally do, they find Hal hanging from a noose on the other side. A noose. <laughs> <laughs> They then run down to the boathouse to find, uh, to see if they can find Potter. But all they find is the empty boat. All they find is that Toady song. <laughs> they check to see if he has any key or if there's any keys in it. But all they find is a letter warning about a missing mental patient that they are uh, afraid is making their way back to their home. It says That's in the right. letter, it says Thank in the letter God. that the person is Mrs. St. John, and they have been a patient at their facility for the last three years. Now, since Mrs. St. John is the same name as Muffy, they start to wonder if Muffy is the killer. Uh, it also says that she is unstable and extremely dangerous. Kit says that it cannot be Muffy, as she has been in college for the last three years with her, when... Rob says that they have to go back to the house to find Potter and get the fuck off the island. Now it's like an episode of Lost. I was like, things are actually, you know, we're getting into that uh, 80s horror movie, you know, uh, yeah. drive going it on. It progresses pretty fast here. Rob and Kit sneak back into the house through an open window in the basement where they immediately find a trail of blood leading to the furnace, which has Muffy's clothes stuffed inside. Kit notices names and dates on the wall, uh, like of children at certain heights, with the names of Whoa. Muffy and Buffy, which has Kit recall the picture of the twin girls. She puts two and two together and realizes that this hasn't been Muffy, but her twin sister Buffy. Cincinnati Jeff, I have a question for We've you. We've been doing all the killings. What's up? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you mid-sentence. Okay, everybody knows, you know, you measure your kid's height and stuff. Where do you normally do that? In a sure. kitchen? Like a on a door. doorway? Yeah. <clears throat> Not in an unfinished fucking basement? Like a dungeon. A dungeon? Right, exactly. Ooh. Well, I mean, these uppity Maine white people, you know, with their crabs and lobsters and shit, uh, probably didn't want to deface the white wash of the walls, so they're like, we'll do it downstairs on the stonework, where no one will notice it while we're hosting Sunday brunch. Next to the fucking slave quarters, no doubt. (laughs) They then notice a set of eyes behind the same painting from their bedroom, and as they fucking move it, they they discover Muffy's severed head hanging there. Buffy then slams the window shut from behind and nails it, forcing the two to run upstairs into the house. Buffy then tries to get them through the back kitchen door while they are trying to look for the boat keys. But Rob somehow gets locked in the pantry. This this was always kind of weird. Like He gets knocked in there and the door locks behind him. As Buffy then breaks in and chases Kit with a big-ass kitchen knife and a smile. It's a classic Hufflepuff move. <laughs> okay, there's my, there's my obligatory Harry Potter joke. As Buffy chases Kit through the dining room, Kit forces her way... 
Uh, Kit tries to force her to drop the knife and tell her that she doesn't need to do this as she's just getting these crazy fucking looks from Buffy. I mean, and this, I mean, she's really selling it here as this psycho killer. It is a solid fucking scene. And she is terrifying looking. As Kit forces her way into the living room through the doors, only to realize that all her fucking friends are sitting around and shooting the shit. And the twist. Nikki and Nan are reading a magazine. Chaz is building a house of cards. Arch and Skip are yucking it up while Hal enjoys a drink. Even Constable Potter, Buck, and Hal the Ferryman are hanging around, but no one looks up at Kit. Buffy is still standing behind her with a kitchen knife and a crazy look when Kit starts to piece together what's going on. Buffy then shows her that the, the knife that she was holding was a prof knife the entire time as everyone looks and starts to laugh. Meanwhile, and this is... God, I love this scene. Rob doesn't know that any of this is going on, is still screaming like an idiot from the pantry. Old boy is straight up having a fucking meltdown. Fucking, I love you! Kid, I love you! As Buck sneaks up from behind her with his dead-eye makeup and shit and all and goes, I love you too, babe, and kisses He gets a little smoochy, and then takes his gore off and slaps it on his face. Yep, and then unlocks the door for him as fucking Rob still hasn't figured it out and runs back into the room to beat everybody's ass. And in the living room, everyone yells, April Fools! As Rob enters the room, and Muffy slash Buffy starts to thank everyone for playing along and explains what has been going on. All right, before we get to this big, 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 the reveal, uh, I swear to God, if any of my friends ever pulled a fucking stunt like this, they would have to identify you by your dental records, you know? (laughs) And Muffy is very fucking lucky. Amy Steele defeated Jason. She's a 110-pound soaking wet Burnett, you know? She's lucky she didn't fucking crush a chair over her head or fucking stab her or Lord knows what with any, you know, uh, gardening implement out in the shed kind of thing. Right. No, you ain't wrong. You ain't wrong. So Muffy tells Rob that her and Kit were the best and they figured out everything on their own. They found the clues and all this shit. Muffy then tells everyone that this was all a script, and in one month's time, she gets the house as part of her inheritance from her mom dying, but she has to show her father that she can afford all the taxes and expenses on the house on her own, so Muffy decided to turn it into a country inn, but with a twist, one that specializes in a once-in-a-lifetime whodunit weekend, and she needed a rehearsal. I'd be like, Muffy, that's fucking great, but you better cut me a paycheck for all that shit you just pulled off. Right? For my fucking time and goddamn fucking, like, mental anguish. Yeah, mental for Yeah, exactly, exactly. She then explains that the boat crew and even Constable Potter were in on it from the beginning, but all the guests were not, until they were killed off. Everyone had to cooperate to make it seem real or it wouldn't have worked. So she lets them in on the fact that she does have a twin, but it's not Buffy, it's actually Skip. It was Angela the whole time! Oh my god! She Wait. was a boy the whole time. Let's not call the cops or anything. But... <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. Continue. Skip was in on the setup, but not the whole plan. Buck then reveals himself to actually be a effects makeup artist who supplied the heads and all that whatnot. And Constable Potter is actually Buffy's uncle, Frank St. John. 
Which is, they got a funny scene where he's like, this is my uncle, Frank St. John from Wall Street. And fucking Hal's like, hey, how you doing? My name's Harold. Always the opportunist. Fucking yuppies, dude. Uh, and then only Cal the Ferryman was actually who he said he was. He wasn't a hired actor. He actually runs the ferry, and he was, but he was in on it the whole time. Uh, Muffy then apologizes about some of the fake clues in the bedrooms being taken a little too seriously, such as Nan's uh, crying baby and things Jeez. like that. I don't know, Muffy. If you're doing all this extensive research on everything, maybe, you know, check with your friends. Oh, you don't want to be offended because you had an abortion? Cool, I won't, you know... Do the whole baby thing. Right. Whatever. Well, because, like, you think about it, like, okay, like, Hal had the articles about the... Car crash. Teenagers dying in the car crash. You're, like, waiting for some sort of big reveal from that. Nothing comes of it. So that probably didn't have anything to do with his past. He just finishes his glass of scotch. He's like, no, I totally killed those kids. I'm fine with it. Nikki is obviously very into fucking. Um, I don't think she's an S&M queen. I could be wrong. But that one also seemed maybe a little bit more on the nose, but not quite. And then those are the the only two mean ones. Like Arch found heroin. That's just awkward. And then you've got fucking uh, Hal's exploding cigar as well, which was funny. And then uh, Kit and Rob fucking getting the the, uh, light bulb things. Those are pretty funny. So uh, before she goes to wheel out the champagne and she starts to thank everybody uh, for hanging out and playing along and they all start to party and celebrate complete with the fucking fake severed heads and, and uh, everything that usually goes along with having a severed head. It's true though. Fucking drinking out of it and shit, dude. Oh, fucking old dudes trying to make uh Muffy blow them. Muffy <laughs> severed head blow them. Yeah, I know. It's great. I, I mean, I would, I would try that, right? Dead serious. I'd do it too, man. My go move. In a heartbeat. So later on, uh, Muffy, in the night, Muffy is drunkenly staggering her way back into her bedroom as everybody's is done and the party's winded down. And she's chugging some champagne. As she goes to her bed, she finds a small wrapped present on it. She walks over and opens it up to find a new jack-in-the-box inside. She begins to wind the toy, prepping for something scary. And she's a little cautious, kind of looking around. She doesn't see anything. And as soon as the jack pops out... Nan steps out of the shadows and slits Muffy's throat with a fucking knife. Muffy begins to scream as blood is running down her fucking neck before Nan leans over and gives her a little smile and shows her that it was just a prop knife with fake blood and tells her, April Fools. And then the credits roll with a catchy little ditty. Nan, you still suck, though. (laughs) Too bad you're crazy. Too bad you're loony as hell. I I really like the... The, the credit song, because it plays in full uh, at the menus on the Blu-ray. Oh, and yours? That's cool. Yeah, it's like this like 50s ditty carnival, bum, 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 like 40s, 50s kind of kind of jaunt. It's cool. It's cool. You, I like it. What do you call that genre of music? It's like, I've got something in my front pocket for you. Right. Oh, hello, my lady. Hello, my honey. Hello, oh, no, my no, you time girl. That, that's like extremely racist. You can't sing that. Okay, but that's that type of music. Oh, like Fallout shit. Yeah, I guess, sir. Hacking and slacking and wagging. Yeah. So that is the end of the movie here. Uh, there, There is a third part that we will talk about in the trivia, but uh, do you want to see a dead body? Sure. All right, so there are seven total kills. Not really, but all of them are off screen. Yep, I didn't count any of them. 
Yeah, so this is our first one where we have zero deaths, uh, but we still have a kill count technically because they are killed, sort of. Uh, we've got Skip, who was decapitated by Buffy. Arch, decapitated by Buffy. Nan has her throat slit by Buffy. Chaz has his penis cut off by Buffy. To and- death! <laughs> no, he cut his, she cut his penis off, then he killed himself. Uh, Nikki stabbed to death by Buffy. Harvey, or Hal, hung by a rope by Buffy, and then Muffy decapitated by Buffy. And that's really all we got. Uh, for favorite kills, I don't have one, uh, but I, I do love the scene with Buck, right, with the with the gore in the eye, but how about you? That's probably the criminal crime right there, and technically he doesn't even die, 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 you know? He just gets mushed up real good. He's, other than, than Muffy getting her throat slit at the very end, Buck is, is the bloodiest and goriest of all the, I guess, kills or maims or whatever you want to call them. This is Eddie Jeff. Is this movie? Is this movie rated R? It is rated R. For what possible reason? All the nudity. <laughs> I'm not sure. All the gore. All the swearing. Violence? I don't even think I heard fuck in this movie. Um, I don't. I honestly don't know. Are you ready for some stuff you should know, though? Hit me, dog. So, just like we discussed, due to the film being light on violence, it received frequent airings on late-night television where it gained a large cult following. What's that? While the crew was lighting a scene, Deborah Goodrich began reading a Cosmopolitan questionnaire to her co-stars, which elicited a huge conversation that caught the attention of director Fred Walton. A few days later, Walton handed Goodrich the magazine and a new set of questions and asked the actress to improvise the scene, which wound up in the final cut that we see when they're cooking dinner. A third act of the film in Walton's original cut, which was filmed, had the group leaving the island and skipped enacting an actual murder of Muffy, wanting to take their family inheritance for himself. But Paramount's, Paramount executives disliked this dark turn in the plot and mandated that the final scene be uh, X'd out so that the film could end on a high note with the character celebrating after Muffy's elaborate prank. So what they did was, is later on, months after the movie had wrapped, they brought in Nan and Muffy to shoot that final scene that we see. That is actually months later in a completely different location. According to director Fred Walton, Paramount executives didn't dislike the infamous deleted third act. They just felt that the movie would end better if it was on a higher note. Uh, However, producer Frank Mancuso Jr. of Friday the 13th fame insisted on tacking on that jack-in-the-box ending, which, as I said, was shot later in L.A. after production had already wrapped. During a 30th anniversary reunion screening panel, uh, Deborah Goodrich, who played Nikki, revealed that she was sent a script for an unproduced sequel that was set in, like, 1990 or 91. Oh, no shit. Though she was sketchy on the details because she couldn't recall the names of the two writers, uh, it was set several years after the film's release, and this story found Chaz and Nikki, who had gotten married, buying a closed-down porno theater on 42nd Street in New York City that they planned to turn into a bed and breakfast. But one of Chaz's college-age relatives arrives for a visit, and that's when shit starts going crazy. That sounds terrible. And I, Well, I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit. Kind of sounds a little sleazy, but it could have been fun. We don't know. Yeah, and- I don't 
Fuck, for all we know, it could have been like Street Trash or something. And it could, like, that would have been a fun one because, like, you're going in expecting it to be more like the first one. We're like, oh, no one's really dying. And then it actually turns out that everybody's fucking dead. Or and then they pull down your pants in the theater and spank your fucking ass. Uh, lastly, Leanna Quigley, the Quigs. The Quigs! Was actually cast as Muffy and Buffy, but she had to turn down the role due to scheduling conflicts with Return of the Living Dead. Honey, you made the right move. Uh, what are your final cuts there, Nachos? What'd you like, not like, and what would you change? And then give me your rating, sir. All right, so this movie, um, virtually almost no gore whatsoever. No deaths, no nudity, no swearing. That's kind of my fucking go-to thing with these films. Like, that's why I watch these movies. Now, I do appreciate the clue-ish murder mystery element to it. But at the end of the day, I give it 10 out of 10. April Fool's. No, fuck this movie, dude. It gets five. Wow. I used to love this movie. Then I rewatched it. and I'm just like, you didn't check any of my boxes. This is what I need. There's some good acting, though, honestly. So there were other, um, like, whodunit, like, murder party things. Uh, this is one of three films that was released. Released around the same time, uh, Clue was another one, and so was Killer Party. <clears throat> I still haven't seen Killer Party. And Killer Party and um, Slaughter High were three films that were, including this one, that were all filmed based around April Fool's Day. So it's kind of a neat, neat thought, uh, or you know, like a little little bit of trivia there, I guess. Um, I I'm gonna go ahead and get my rating first. I'm gonna do a little out of order. I give it a nine out of ten. Not a joke. Wow. I want to give this movie a 10 out of 10, uh, but it is is missing two key things for me that give it a perfect score. One is more gore. The movie was light on it, and while that doesn't necessarily hurt movies in any way, a la Halloween and things like that, I personally am a fan of more blood and guts. And I don't even mind how fake it looks sometimes, like in those early, late 70s, early 80s movies where like the blood is so red it's obviously paint. Oh, like the Fulci, uh, all, all like red paint kind of thing. Like that never bothers me. It oh, never fun. does. Uh, and then second is that Paramount cut that third act and like still it's sitting somewhere. It, it was filmed. It exists, but it hasn't been brought to light yet. You know, and I know that they, you know, had obviously their issues like when they did My Bloody Valentine and like they took forever to finally get that cut footage. I swear so, to God, Paramount hates their fans. It's just sitting there, but. I really like this movie. I, I say I'm, I'm bitching about that. There's that there's needs to be more gore, but I, do, I actually don't mind it so much. I really love the actors in this. I think that they get along really well. From what I understand, they they brought them all together for a couple weeks to just hang out while they just did some like scouting and then like some setup shots and things like that. So they all just got to like know each other and stuff. And it really shows cause they're actually like buddy, buddy on screen. And it's some pretty goddamn good acting between them too. They sell it. I mean, that's legit. I really like it. And there yeah. aren't too many horror movies out there that have such a great twist at the end, right? There's a couple. You definitely got obviously sleepaway camp where it's like, Whoa, wasn't expecting that. What and, a twist. And this was another one, right? And But once you know the twist, you're kind of like, okay, well, I've seen it once. First time, like you said, all right, it was pretty good. Now that I'm rewatching it, it's not checking all the boxes for you. And that's fine, but I still love it. I just think that it was set up well, shot really well. Everybody really acted as best as they possibly could with what they had. 
and I just really like this movie, man. I mean, it is one of my favorite slasher movies that exist outside of a franchise. It really is. And I will watch it all the time. I always set this up, just like every Friday the 13th, I watch as many Friday the 13th. Halloween, I watch as many Halloweens. And every April Fool's Day, I put this on, no matter what I'm doing. All right. All right. I think I'm going to come back in. Actually, I got it incorporated. The first time I saw it, that twist, I'll bump it from a five to a six. Because, dude, yeah, the first time I saw this movie, that twist was pretty good. It got me like it did everybody else in the theater. Hence, that's the April Fool's joke right there. And that first time, yeah, dude, that was a good effect. I was like, that was refreshing. That was a nice, crisp, you know, uh, fucking change of pace kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't your normal, like, the killer's dead, the heroine gets away, and then the last scene... He's missing, right? That shit's been fucking done to death. This was a pretty cool twist. Very unique, for sure. I would have really liked to see that third act. I think it would have helped sell the movie more. Now, it wouldn't... It's not going to probably bring a ton of gore unless, like, Skip kills Buffy and then, like, plays in her guts. But, like... Turns her inside out from her pussy kind of thing. Right, but it... All in all, even without it, I still think that it's a pretty, I think, in my mind, a pretty successful movie, and I really liked it. Uh, I would have loved to have seen a sequel for sure, um, depending on how well it was handled. You know, sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't, but at at this point, right, Paramount was really on their game in the 80s. And now now while the film would have been filmed in the 90s, it still would have been one of those early 90s ones that kind of beat the rap, because once you get to, like, 92, 93, shit really starts to go downhill. Shit gets weird, like, yeah. Until Scream comes in and kind of saves us. Well, pretty much. I mean, I'll straight say it. Scream's an amazing... I know I'm getting off topic. I'm sorry. Uh, Scream is an amazing movie, and it, like, did help uh, re- re-identify the genre kind of thing, but they were still making horror movies. Some of them were pretty okay. Like, not The Ghost of Mars, so that's in the thousands. In the mouth of madness and shit, you know? There are, so, it's, so in the 80s, you got a lot of movies, right? A lot, and most of them slashers. You got a lot of horror movies, but most of them are classics or cult classics or just part of a huge franchise and are pretty well liked. When you get into the 90s, you got a lot of movies as well, but most of them are shit. That's when you're really starting to get into the full moon stuff where they're just throwing shit out every two weeks and shit like that. Same title. And just, like, really weird movies that just, I don't even know how got, they got made. So, you know, they were I just... I like these some weird horror movies. I mean, I do, too, but there's just a lot of low-budget, no-good stuff in there, too. Until Scream came along and really revitalized the slasher. I mean, that's your bread and butter. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like a good possession movie, a good haunted house movie, things like that, sure. But there's just something about a guy holding a knife that's just really cool like and i just love that and in that early 90s stuff it was very lacking for sure hey would you consider the crow a horror movie or a superhero flick uh if i'm just off the top of my head i'd probably say superhero flick yeah i'm I'm gonna say superhero flick but it really does side more with a horror movie it does i mean spawn does too um but i would say the movies themselves aren't like the comics definitely yeah. really aligned themselves with it with the, with the oh. satanic stuff and then with the crow comics jr bar that stuff is like crazy violent you know that's like frank miller sin city violent kind of shit 
Uh, and the yep. movie definitely toned it down and kind of brought more of a superhero vibe to it, too. So there's a scene, you know, like how the crow has all that electrical tape on his stomach? You, you know what that is, right? Why that's there? He's uh, fixed himself up. Yeah, because, like, he got his all his guts fucking ripped out or something. It's just like a deleted scene. There's a ton of deleted scenes in there. Um, it's like a whole different movie going on. Uh, what's his name? Michael Berryman? Yeah, Michael Berryman. You got it. He plays uh, basically basically like the ghost oh. writer. Um, yeah, yeah. Essentially what it is. He's like a cow, like a skeleton cowboy. Um, they filmed it. Uh, there's a book. I have, I have a book with, like, pictures and production stills and stuff like that and there's a ton of like there's a whole chapter devoted to just his character who was in the comics and things like that and and what he looked like and and it looks great and they cut the whole thing i'm a big crow fan that's one of those movies though that a lot of people just like love to jump on along with like nightmare before christmas and things like that and it just like harley quinn fans were just they want to beat you over the fucking head with it and i'm like dude stop ruining it for me but do you know when the last time i I watched the crow was Mm, early 2000s 2005 see i was gonna say early 2000s that counts like i remember we are not even talking about april fool's day anymore nah but you know we're basically what we're saying though is is the reason we're april, the fools! april fools is God that fuckers. like early 90s stuff sucks so uh that this would have been a welcomed treat had they had a sequel and we're back full circle okay so long as it had been done even halfway decent, which I said at this time, Paramount was still doing pretty well for themselves. This is uh, pre-Jason Goes to Hell, which was more new line, but they'd kind of given everything over and stuff like that. So Yeah, the, the Jason Travel Saga, that's what I like to call that. So, goes to space, goes to Manhattan, goes to hell. Um, coming up uh, in our next episode. Uh, before what are we doing, buddy? So we usually drop a little hint this time. I'm just going to go straight into it. It's my birthday weekend. And here on the Here Comes the Spooky podcast, uh, the host who's having a birthday gets to just choose whichever movie they want, doesn't matter what it is. And for me, I am going with the classic 1999 Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Oh, yeah! I love this fucking movie. This is one of these movies where when Nachos and I were already like fucking really good friends with each other for years, and then one of us just brought it up casually while we we're just fucking drinking about Scooby Doo, finding you know like, oh, you're a Scooby Doo fan? Well, yeah, that makes fucking sense. And I then love I, one of us, I don't even remember who, was like, you saw Scooby Doo in Zombie Island, and the other one was like, fuck yeah, dude, that movie fucking rocks, and that just cements your friendship even further. Like, yes, so. That's no, what we're doing. It seamens your friendship even further. <laughs> Makes it sticky. So we're doing our first ever cartoon episode. Uh, hey, Scooby-Doo, that's horror shit. So it still counts, too. Lie to my fucking face and tell me that old Scooby-Doo episodes aren't proto-horror movies for kids. Dude, I can't. And I you don't love Scooby-Doo. They have the same amount of deaths as April Fool's Day. So there you go. <laughs> I'm not salty. What? You ain't wrong. Uh, so that's all I got, buddy. You got anything else before we kind of wrap it up? Oh, I got a game. No, I don't. April Fools. Uh-huh. <laughs> April Fools, you know, fucking three days ago. 
Alrighty, so uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, as always, check us out. Uh, thanks, can, guys. You can find us on uh, Instagram at Here Comes the Spooky, at Facebook and Twitter at Here Comes Spooky. You can email us at Here Comes the Spooky at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear from people. We'd love to get suggestions and things like that. We're always running with new ideas, anything you guys got. Uh, we love criticism as well. We like to, we'd love to fuel the fire. Uh, and uh, as we've stated before, uh, during the COVID-19, we're telling everybody, hey, while you can, if you can, stay inside, just be safe, be smart. This is obviously affecting us as well uh, from a uh, tech standpoint. So we're having to do these things via Skype. So our podcast might not sound as up to quality as they normally would. But it sounds uh, better than yours. <laughs> it's definitely as good as your second favorite podcast should be. Right. Um, oh, also, check us out on BeanieBaby.net and our new podcast, uh, Here Comes the Beanies. <laughs> I think we'll have a couple episodes up, um, you know, uh, relatively never. So, <laughs> cool. All right. So, thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, stay, stay spooky! spooky!